conferences every once in a while. Me and Brother Mike went to a conference and left Wednesday and got back last night. And um, y'all will probably hear me say words you've never heard before. I got tired of talking. Can you believe that? I really got, I asked Frank, I texted Frank and I said, I'm just tired of talking. But um, Justin, wave at Justin and Kelly. Kelly Wave, Justin and Kelly are my friends from Texas. Justin has the sister ministry to Obedience to Death called Extreme Obedience. And we went and set up at the conference a booth to, um, to tell people about our ministry and, and then go to the conference also. And um, I'll tell you, the more people I talk to, there's a lot of hurting churches and there's a lot of hurting communities. And there's a lot of people that need somebody to fight for. Just what we've been talking about was reinforced to me this week. And so, you know, we've been going, we first, we talked the first week about learning to fight for ourselves, and last week we learned to fight for our families, and this week we're going to learn to fight for our marriages, and, um, and it's important, you know, and as we do that, and I want to read a little bit to you as we get started about that, but um, let's go back, Exodus 14, 14, what's it say, what's our key verse, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need only be still. So let's get still this morning. Let's hear how the Lord's going to show us how to fight for our marriages. Because I'm telling you this morning, Satan is alive and he is roaming and he is wanting to destroy families. And if he can start in our marriage, he's won. And so we have to learn how to, to get ourselves ready for that. As I was getting ready, I'm going to read you some stats. But, um, you know, if you go back as early as Genesis 1 and 2... What happened? God created the world. He created man. He created woman. He created family. He created the fellowship that we're to have with society. He created the fellowship that we were supposed to have with him. And then what happened? The very next chapter, Genesis 3, the man and lady defy God. They sin. And it, at that point, distorts our relationship with God. And it distorts our relationship with husband and wives with each other. And so it's been going on since the beginning, but we have to learn how to fight for it. As I was getting ready, let me um, read you some stats when you break it down. 42 to 45 percent of first marriages end in divorce. 42 to 45 percent. Is that not crazy? 60 percent of second marriages end in divorce. 73 percent of third marriages end in divorce. In the United States, there's one divorce every 36 seconds. Is that not a crazy thing? Every 36 seconds, there's a divorce in the United States. There's 2,400 a day, 16,800 a week, 876,000 a year. The average length of a first marriage ends in divorce at eight years. The probability of, a, probability of a first marriage and ending in separation or divorce in the first five years is 20%, and 10 years is 33%. The average age for couples going through divorce is 30 years old. On average, a person spends two years thinking about divorce before they take action, and three out of four divorced people will remarry. What increases your risk for divorce? People are more likely to divorce the the younger they were when they got married and moved in or moved in with their future spouse. The more of your co-workers who are the opposite sex, the higher risk of your divorce. Having friends, family members, and co-workers who are recently divorced. Higher spending on both, I thought this was interesting, 
Higher spending on both engagement ring and wedding ring has been linked to shorter marriage durations. Me and Tammy all last a thousand years in because I didn't have nothing whenever I bought her rings. Um, and not marrying someone close to your own age increases your chance. Today, today's world, social media, one in three divorces start as online affairs. 25% of couples fight about Facebook at least once a week. One in seven married people have contemplated divorce because of their partner's social media activity. One in five feel uneasy about their relationship after discovering someone on their partner's Facebook. Facebook is the number one source for online divorce evidence. 81% of divorce attorneys have used or encountered evidence obtained from social media. The world we live in today. Satan's alive, and he's wanting to destroy marriages. So that's why we've got to put our gloves on. That's why we've got to put on our rocky robe, and we've got to get ready. Let me read you some scripture, but I want to invite Catherine to come, on, come up. Um, some of y'all might remember Catherine. This is Catherine Arnold. Um, we are first cousins, and she keeps me sane and, uh, as best she can. She, she earns her education on me at times. But I'm excited that she's here today. She is, and I'll let you let her give all her credentials in a minute. But, um, but she is a licensed counselor, and she works here in our area and um, does a phenomenal job. And so uh, let me read to you out of Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her himself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, and, and, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of, this, of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that last verse, I think, is critical for us to hear because it tells us that the husband is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. And why do you think he tells it to us like that? Because if we love our wives and we love our wives right, they're naturally going to love us. But if the wives respect the husband, the husband's going to love the wife. And so um, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to hand it to Miss Catherine. So good morning. Good morning. So I'm fighting a cold, so y'all be praying for me that I keep my voice and I don't have coughing attacks. That's why I didn't want to wear a mic on the face. So my name is Catherine Arnold. I am his favorite cousin. Um, <laughs> I'm a licensed, and mar licensed marriage and family therapist, but I'm also a licensed professional counselor. And 
Um, but more than that, um, I'm just like one of you guys. I'm a child of God. I am um, been saved by His His grace, His mercy, and um, that's that's my identity first. So when Johnny asked me to um, to consider <laughs> consider coming to speak to you guys, I am just I just want you to know how privileged I am to be here. It is an honor. It is. A humble place for me to be to, to be with you guys and to be able to speak about marriage um, because in my own journey um, I'm actually one of those statistics when I'm in my second marriage and so uh, I never thought that I would be someone that God would use um, but praise God he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things because if we were extraordinary in ourselves then who would be getting glory Okay, so speaking on that, the thing that I see, and I have such a passion for marriages, such a passion for marriages, because divorce is so destructive, not just to the person, it is destructive to relationships, and it doesn't end, it goes through life, it's a journey, and it's wave of, it's like leaves a wake of destruction that happens generation to generation. And so going back to scripture, like what Johnny said, we were going to talk about God made man and he made woman, okay? So in the counseling room when I come in, it's um, whether they're Christians or not, the truth of the matter is no one typically, no one gets married to get divorced. No one gets married to feel more lonely. Like, I'm going to marry you and, yeah, I'm going to feel more lonely. No one gets married to fight. It's not what we get married to do. We get married to uh, because it is what we want to do to feel close and connected. And truly, in Genesis, in Genesis 2, God says that he made man, and then from man, he made woman. She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And because of that, right, she'll be named woman. And they became one flesh, they left their mom and dad and became one flesh. That's what it says, right? So a oneness. Oneness is not division. Oneness is complete. Complete through Christ, one. And then from that, the next thing God said was that the man and the woman were together in their oneness and there was no shame. No shame. A lot of people think that that's just physical. Well, they didn't, you know, they didn't have any shame about their physical appearance. No, there was no shame because there was no sin. There was no separation, right? And so, like Johnny said, you just, we were in the Garden of Eden, and we had everything we needed. And if Adam and Eve were in the Garden and had everything that they needed and everything that they wanted and were complete with God and complete with each other and yet tempted, how much more so are we going to be tempted, right? So, but... Satan tempted, and what happened? Eve partook of the, the fruit and became of knowledge of good and evil, right? And as soon as she did that, the word says that her, that her and her husband, Adam, took it. Their eyes were opened. What happened when their eyes were opened? What is the first thing they did? Yeah. Covered. That's right. Their eyes are opened, and now all of a sudden they're covering themselves from each other. What's that say? 
shame. So immediately, there was separation between man and woman. And then what's the next thing that you see in Scripture that happens? This is going to be question and answer. So we're waiting on answers. Yeah. <laughs> what's that? They have from God. So you see major separation now. You see separation from each other. And then you see separation from God. And then immediately God says, where are you? God already knew where they were, but he says, where are you? Because he always wants us to have the opportunity to confess. God does not want division between us and him. And we know this through scripture, right? But immediately when sin came into the world, there was separation, and man and woman, first they start feeling shame, they separate from each other, they cover each other up, and then it goes on, if you go into chapter 3, it says that the, the husband and wife will have conflict. And it says, I think the words are that you will want to lord over your husband. And in other words, you're going to have conflict, okay? But... You flip over to Ephesians, and God gives us a way. God is an amazing God. Hmm. He's an amazing God. He doesn't say, okay, there's your tragedy. That's your consequence. Now I'm going to leave you in it. He says, I'm going to give you a way out, and that way out is me. So Jesus is our way out. So we jump into all the way we go into the New Testament, and Jesus tells us the way out. He tells us to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. That's not even my spouse. Love my neighbor as myself, as my, you know, I would love myself, right? And so you want to fight for your marriage? You already know from Genesis that you're going to have separation. You're going to have separation from God. You're going to have separation from each other. The best thing that anybody can do, whether they're a licensed counselor or a friend or a pastor or anybody, is to fight for the relationship. They don't fight for you, they don't fight for me, they don't fight for people, they fight for the relationship. They become the biggest advocate for your marriage, okay? And then that, the way that you can do it is, if you want to fight for your marriage, you fight for your relationship with Christ. Amen. Because that's where it starts. Because the closer you get to God, because who is God? God is the person of love okay god is love and we love because he first loves us right first john tells us that okay all the answers are in his word and so he says love and so the only way i can love johnny is because god loves john and i love god and god puts that in my heart the only way i can love my spouse and a pure love is to love God because Christ puts that love in me. And Christ is the one who loves my husband through me. And I get the benefit, right? It's a pretty awesome deal. Think about it, right? So anyway, so God tells us in Ephesians, like Johnny was saying, that it's a reciprocal relationship. And he read, I've got to put my glasses on because I can't. say love and respect. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. 
Um, that's a, I think that's one of the programs that you guys did here. I know we did it at mm -hmm. Judson. When we were talking about this, we were having coffee and we were talking about what we were going to, you know, what God was putting on our hearts. Um, he was talking about the uh, love and respect information. And, and I told him, I said, it's interesting to me how whether we're believers or not, the model of connection is the same. So the love and respect material is actually produced by Christians. And I forget his last name. It's, it's a weird, it looks like egg something. I don't know, I can't remember. But anyway, um, that's one model. Sue Johnson is a, not a believer. And she has a model of therapy for attachment and connection called emotional focus therapy. John Gottman is a well-known um, marital therapist. He's actually Jewish. And he has um, a marital um, interaction where he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? But no matter what, whether you're a believer or not, it all goes back to connection. It all goes back to uh, attachment. Um, and it's a reciprocal interaction. Johnny said the word, through God's word, he said, husbands love your wives and your wives will respect you. Wives, respect your husbands, and your husbands will respect you. That's a reciprocal relationship, right? So no matter who said what, it all goes back to the Bible. And God's word tells us that we should love each other. And when we love each other in the humility of God, when we mimic God's love, it's we should naturally reciprocate it. Okay. So we're going to make it a little bit more real. We just sang and worship a song, How Marvelous God's Love Is. Oh, how marvelous is his love. I want you to just sit in that. When his love is sitting and you're just in his presence, is there anything else that you think about? It's the sweetest, right? We don't think about, oh, well, he didn't do this for us, or I didn't do, we're just sitting in his love, right? You think about when you are in a relationship, and especially if you're married in the very beginning, and you're sitting and you're like, oh, I'm engaged, and, and you give me an engagement ring, I'm gonna run around and tell everybody I'm engaged because there's nothing else that matters. We're sitting in that love, and we reciprocate that love. Right? That's the moment of vulnerability and connection, naked and unashamed, when we're just sitting in the love and we're looking at each other positive. It is when we get so absorbed with what you're not doing for me that all of a sudden I feel like I need to vindicate. And so I'm not reciprocating love, I'm vindicating. I'm defending. I have to protect myself and defend. Okay? Now, Satan is going to want to attack your marriage through attacking the connection. Okay? The statistics, I didn't even know the statistics were that high with Facebook, but it makes sense, right? Because in relationships, we're looking for connection. And connection is not just physical. Connection is an emotional. Connection is something where you're actually invested in each other. Right? <coughs> it's a time thing. It's a quality thing. And so if my spouse is on the Facebook talking to some other person, he's not investing in me. He's certainly not investing in God, right? 
So it's going to feel intimidating to me, whether it's uh, anything going on or not. Okay, so one of the things that I'm kind of jumping around, but I'm, I'm, I'm showing that there's vulnerability in us when we allow the relationship to have something come between it. That is when the disconnect happens, and then our reciprocal interaction will shift from positive to negative. Okay, so fighting for your marriage, some of the things that I want you guys to practical application. I've obviously told you that the first thing to do is you want to strengthen your marriage, strengthen your relationship with God. Because anything else besides Jesus Christ is a counterfeit love. It's an impure love. And even if you try to do it with the best of your ability to love your spouse outside of Christ, it is still going to be broken because we know in Genesis 2, sin called separation. Okay, so Jesus is the only one that can give us that pure connection, that pure love. Everything else is counterfeit. Okay, so I'm not surprised about the ring because that's a counterfeit expression. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with giving me a very expensive ring, if you, you know, or Tammy for that matter, if she wants one. Shh. But. Our 30th is coming up. We don't want to spend more on this. We've made it this far on this ring. Okay, so. If I was Satan and I wanted to attack your marriage, and this is what I see all the time when, I, when I'm working with couples, is let's make this clear. If I'm Satan and I want to attack your marriage, then I'm going to attack the reciprocal interaction. And how best to attack the reciprocal interaction to first then attack you. Okay? So when sin came in, shame came in. You've got to tell me what time, how much time, because I can talk about this for a long time. About eight more minutes. Maybe done by nine. We got Sunday school. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can do this. Okay. So, <laughs> when a couple comes in, I'm going to get on speed. Okay, this is going to go really fast. But when someone comes in, right, and they're having marital work, the first thing we do is look at the interaction pattern because I'm going for the marriage, right? So, it's kind of hard to do if both people aren't in the room, right? And so, I'm first, and especially if they're believers, we're going to see what is it in your own life that you struggle with. Right? Because in our own lives, we have those I am negative statements. Okay? That's sin. Sin causes us to believe that we're not good enough. We're not good enough. I'm not um, smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not. There's some I am negative statement. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not accepted enough. You know, it's those I am. And Satan, when he can get you in that spot, you're going to feel so distressed and so restless that you're going to pop up and try to do the things that make you feel better, right? Sometimes we exercise. Sometimes we eat. Sometimes we do things that aren't good for us, but we try to make ourselves feel better, okay? And we do that in our own world, right? So maybe we work more. Maybe we look for achievement more. Maybe we look for validation some kind of way. But when we're feeling those negative I am statements and we're not going to God and believe in his word that those things are not true, we're going to be searching for those things elsewhere. And, okay, we'll pretend Johnny is my spouse. And if I'm feeling like I am, and my I am statement is, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, you know, I am, I am just waiting to be rejected. Okay, that's my I am statement. S statements. Okay? So I'm having a bad day at work, and I'm struggling, and I'm feeling like I did something wrong, and I'm feeling pretty bad about it, and I'm feeling pretty unlovable. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to expect my husband to validate all of that, right? 
Makes sense. He loves me. Anybody's going to love me. Your spouse is going to love you the most. At least that's what we think, right? The spouse. Is, but we forget that they are also struggling with their own I am statements. Okay? So he had a bad day. I don't know it. And he may not have even had a bad day. He may have had a good day. And he comes home and I'm struggling with I'm not lovable. So I come home from work and I want him to validate me and make me feel better. Right? So I come home and I'm like, Hey, how was your day? I just had this terrible day. And, you know, um, man, I, uh, I just want to talk to you about it. And he's like, okay, we can talk about it. But at first, let me do this. I'm already feeling rejected a little bit and not important and not good enough. And he's like, I want to hear what you have to say. And literally, he wants to hear, but he has this other thing that he has to do first so he can sit down and talk to me. I don't know that. All I know is I need you to validate me. And you think that. I got a job to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do something. Yeah. And I'm feeling rejected. So what am I going to do? I'm going to say something snarky to him. I'm going to say, well, blah, blah, blah. So now he doesn't know what happened, but all of a sudden he feels like he's done something wrong. Because all he said was, I'm going to go do this thing. I'm coming right back. And I just said, well, won't you just go do that thing? You know, it's a reciprocal thing, right? So I'm wanting to feel better. I need you to validate me. And you didn't realize I'm coming to you for validation. He has this little thing he wants to do before he's able to give me his undivided attention. Maybe I'm coming home. Maybe he's coming home at the same time and he needs to go. He wants to go change his shoes, you know, or just get out of his shoes. And that's, that to me in that moment, because I can't handle anymore, feels like rejection. And so I pipe off at him, and now he's feeling like he didn't do something. It taps into that I am statement, well, you didn't do it right. I didn't do it right. So that puts him in his spiral. I'm not good enough. And then he's going to want to feel better. Okay, so it's kind of hard to do without a whiteboard. My point is, it's reciprocal. We all struggle with our own insecurities because of sin. And if I can, once Satan gets us in our own insecurity and we start believing that I'm not good enough, if I was Satan and I could trigger that insecurity by my spouse, then now I'm going to feel like, well, if I'm not loved by my spouse, I'm not going to be loved by anybody. And I'm going to push away or I'm going to attack. And he's going to do the same thing because now we have just changed that love and respect cycle to defend and attack. Defend and attack. And whether you're attacking or I'm defending or I'm defending and he's attacking, the cycle has now been completely flipped and it looks like an infinity loop that you can't get out of. Okay? And it is real, and we all get caught in it. And as much as I am a counselor and can see it, I get caught in it because I struggle with my own division from God thinking that I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. And God says, what's he tell us? What's he tell us in Psalm 139 in the Old Testament? What's he show us in the New Testament? We are valued. We are, we are, it's not about us being good enough. 
It's that he loves us. And if he shows us love and mercy and renews that every morning, we should do the same for our spouse every morning. Okay? Now, I will say, I say all this to say, then once this infinity, if you get in that negative perpetual infinity loop of negativity where we're reciprocating defend attack, what's going to happen is there's going to be more separation and more separation, and it's a slow fade. And then before you know it, you may be, when you have a bad day, going on to Facebook or playing a game or doing something like that, and at some point you may become so deprived in your marriage that it's easier for competing attachments to slip in. And when I say competing attachments, a competing attachment may be, well, I'm going to exercise more than I come home. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. But when exercise becomes more important, then that's a bad thing. Or I'm just going to have this one drink so that I can deal before I go home. Well, the drink, the exercise, whether it's a friend, I'm just going to talk to this friend, or I'm just going to talk to this. Whatever it is, when it comes before God to fill that void, you're in a dangerous place. Mm. Okay? And then, whatever comes between, whatever that is, not only is it going to come between your vertical relationship between you and the Lord, but it's certainly going to come between your horizontal relationship between you and your spouse. Does that make sense? And then before you know it, there is more and more division, and you feel in a million miles away from the one person who is supposed to be your closest one flesh, right? And so fighting for your marriage is not about putting boxing gloves on and fighting. It is fighting in a different way. It is truly the scripture of Exodus. Let God fight for you. And the way that God fights for you is that he calls you to himself to sit in his presence of love. Mm -hmm. Because when we are overflowed by his love, it's a natural outpouring to those around us. And every relationship in your life will change. Everyone. Now, and the last thing I'm going to say is this, okay, I think is that, um, and I just lost it, so maybe I'm not going to say it. I didn't have it. I don't know what it was. I forget what it was. But we do have four minutes, yeah? We have Four minutes. I did want to ask you guys to ask questions. I know it's kind of a dangerous thing, but... I didn't want you guys to ask questions about marriages and some of the things that I see in the counseling room. Some of the things, I mean, it could even be personal. Like, I, my husband and I have been married for 11 years, so we're defying the statistic on the 70%. It used to be 70. I think it went down a little bit for second marriages and then divorce. I learned how to fight differently. I don't have any questions. Usually questions are, what do you do when one person is fighting for the marriage and the other person is not? I mean, how, how do you fight for a marriage when one person is in and the other person's not all in? That's a hard question. So since y'all not asking that, I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Let them wonder. Yeah. See, I want to get the answer to that. <laughs> do 
have any questions for real? Okay, let me answer that question because that is a good, really good question. So it's not uncommon that people come in and, and one person is fighting for the marriage or wants the marriage and the other one is, it seems like the other one is not. That is not always true, okay? Um, when we get caught in that distant part of the relationship, we may fight differently, right? Um, one person may be fighting by shutting down because they're afraid that when they get angry, they're going to say something to their spouse that's hurtful. Right? So they may shut down just because they don't want to lose their temper. Right? So it's kind of a, a difficult question to, to answer. It depends on, it, the only way you can look at it is to pull the couple into the, to the uh, marriage. But if you feel like you're in a marriage where you're fighting and you're working harder than your spouse, right? then sit down, sit down, pray about it, and ask God, what is it that you're responding to? Because it's going to be an I am statement. I don't feel loved by my spouse because he doesn't do this or she doesn't do this or she knows that I can't stand it when she leaves the socks in the middle of the floor, okay? I'll take the real one. My husband can't stand when I leave my shoes in the middle of the hall because he steps on them and he trips, right? But this was something in the beginning. Well, me, I'm thinking that's no big deal. Just kick him out of the way. I don't understand what the problem is. It's not about the shoes, it's not that she asks, she's asking you to do something or he's asking you to do something. It's about the fact that the shoes bother him. And we know in the word of God that it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. And when you do this, you mimic Christ, who being equal with God did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing when he made himself in the form of the image of a man. And he didn't just stop there, but he allowed himself to come in the image of a man and be crucified on a cross to die for us. So my shoes in the middle of the floor had nothing to do with, that's a petty thing, it had everything to do with somehow or another me leaving shoes in the middle of the floor dropped him to a place that he didn't think I cared enough for him to care about the detail. It was nothing about the shoes. And I was so much in my defense that this is a petty thing that I was thinking of my own interest first. And so fighting for your marriage when one person doesn't look like they're fighting is not always the case. Now, if somebody is caught in a perpetual competing, I'll call it competing attachment, and I'm going to have to sum up because it's not, but a competing attachment causes division, and we were just talking about that, like Facebook can call, become a competing attachment. When we start trying to cope and fill that void of we're not good enough or something like that, um, we're, we're not lovable, with something that, that gives us a counterfeit sense of security, that competes with the purest love that God intended with himself and each other. And so a competing attachment can be anything that we use to cope outside of Christ. And whether it's, um, like I said, exercise or, or if it's, and I'll use exercise because a lot of people think that that's the greatest thing. It is good for you as long as it's not an idol, right? Money is another thing. It is not uncommon for women to do retail therapy when they're upset, well, that may cause problems in the marriage. And so it's not about what it is, it's about 
how that is. I hear, I see a lot of people laughing on that one. <laughs> so it's, it's what it does to the love and respect, the reciprocal relationship that matters. Um, it's very difficult to fight for a marriage when one person, though, chooses to pick, pick an idol over Christ and then therefore over the other person. So that's the only time it's very, very difficult. It was a good question you guys had. <laughs> It is 9.02. Any other questions you can ask me after? I'm good. Well, I'm asking Donnie and them to go ahead and come up. And I want to go back to the scripture that's been our key scripture for the last several weeks. God will fight for us. He will fight for our marriages. But we have to be willing to be still and be quiet and let him fight. And it's important 